Yep, we're talking about the Big Five today. The Big Five is one of the most popular um, and most well-respected personality typing systems in actual psychological research and in, in government um, and where policy is actually involved. Me and Alex are obviously super interested in research because we want to be able to um, support uh, physiotype with research. So basically, we have to let our listeners understand what the Big Five is, um, and we have to kind of uh, correlate the Big Five as much as we can with physiotype so that we can make sense of the research as it relates to physiotype, because people aren't out there doing studies uh, based on physiotype, obviously. So obviously, physiotype doesn't map perfectly to the Big Five. Um, I'll start off by letting everyone know what, what the Big Five are. Um, they are in order. No, I'm just kidding. There's no order. Um, <laughs> openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So a uh, quick overview of those and just um, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, or if there's anything I missed that's important. Um, when you think openness, think about creativity um, being able to do new things, being open to new experiences, um, having a wider array of interests, and um, being a little more comfortable with abstract thought. And then conscientiousness, um, people who are high in conscientiousness have higher self-control, they're more goal-oriented, detail-oriented, um, they're more aware of what's going on around them, or aware of the details. Agreeableness uh, is self-explanatory, as most of these are, actually. People who are high in agreeableness are um, more trusting, more affectionate, and more cooperative. And then we've got neuroticism. Um, neuroticism simply is just your propensity to experience negative emotions. And then the next last one is uh, extroversion, which I'm not even going to explain because it's so obvious. <laughs> so to, to give uh, some examples... Uh, starting with openness, someone who's high in openness is someone who would be maybe inventive, curious in nature. Someone who's low in openness is someone who's cautious, uh, strives for consistency. Um, conscientiousness, someone who is very conscientious is likely to be highly organized and efficient. Someone who's low in conscientiousness is more prone for carelessness, also for maybe extravagance. Um... An extroversion, again, it's pretty obvious. Someone who's high in extroversion is going to be outgoing and energetic instead of being solitary and reserved. Um, agreeableness, that's pretty self-explanatory, like you said. Uh, friendly versus callous. Uh, and neuroticism. Someone who's high in neuroticism is prone to emotional bouts. So someone who's high in neuroticism is highly emotional. Um and the not good way. What we'll do now is um, relate physiotype and big five, right? So I, I guess I just want to mention, um, we'll mostly be ignoring neuroticism and agreeableness, right? I mean, they're they're important, obviously. Neuroticism but... and extroversion. Oh, sorry. Neuroticism, or neuroticism and extroversion, yeah. Um, just because, well, neuroticism and extroversion are less biological right they're like physiotype is purely nature and neuroticism and extroversion are not as much nature as openness conscientiousness and agreeableness are huh mm -hmm. and physiotype is a pure nature science it's not about nurture at all 
And I mean, even looking over the definitions of neuroticism and extroversion, while there were some some facets that you could maybe say are somewhat associated with with different properties and physiotype, it, it was nothing was strong enough to be able to map well with right. any high degree of confidence. And that would be concerning if neuroticism could be openly could be tracked very well to physiotype types. It'd be like, oh well, you're just kind of <laughs> too bad for you, buddy. You're the wrong type. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. The other four traits, you know, there's pros and cons to each, but neuroticism is like, ah, probably want to be a low on that one. Yeah, I don't think there's any real pros to being high in neuroticism. <laughs> no. like i'm so proud of myself i'm very emotionally charged and i have negative feelings all the time aren't i special oh my gosh well some people Um, do feel that way actually that's true i have two modes princess or uh animal you know like those uh yeah there's like a sub there's a subculture of like really trashy girls right like trashy mid 20s ladies who are like if you don't want me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best i have yeah just watch how crazy i get it's like they are literally signaling about how crazy and messed up and angry they can get and it's like why are you signaling this like it's (laughs) not something you don't want to keep public (laughs) yeah but they're literally signal it's 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 odd Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Um, complete random tangent. Okay. So, and men don't do that, huh? Like men signals, like men, like men and women both signal stupid stuff. But for some reason, there is a subculture where women sometimes signal that they can go crazy and angry and weird, but men are never signaling when I go berserk. You know, I don't know. I I think men are more like, like the unhealthy behavior that men are more likely to signal is like coldness and apathy. Yes, yes, absolutely. Men are very prone to signaling how apathetic and uncaring they are and how they'll never cry and real men don't cry and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's the perfect example. Yep. Uh, which, funny enough, I feel like most men who try to signal that are supine. <laughs> <laughs> really uh, prone men feel no need to signal that. <laughs> like, do you ever, like, you see those kids who are like no f's given like that kind of attitude like they're constantly talking about how they don't care and it's like are you an idiot like it could not be more obvious that you care quite a bit like if this is first of all this is a stupid thing to signal second of all you're an idiot for signaling it like it's really transparent oh i don't care no f's given bro like i don't care about my haters well clearly you do because you just you're talking about them and also you don't have any haters buddy I'm I'm sure if you say it 20 more times, it'll become true. <laughs> uh, those poor lads. I, I will say before we before we jump into conscientiousness that while neuroticism doesn't fit into the physiotype model because our model is looking to predict you know biological markers, um, these neuroticism is something that you can see physically in people. Of course, you're not going to see it in the in their static features as much as features that do change over time. Um, and we'll, maybe we'll get into that in a later time. But I, I did want to just say that it is something that can be seen, but we don't believe it is related to physiotype as a theory. Uh, conscientiousness, Alex. How does conscientiousness 
relate and map to physiotype. Okay, so uh, like we said before, someone who's high in conscientiousness is more likely to display uh, self-discipline, um, set goals, and they're more likely to be focused. They're more likely to be organized, both physically and like their their environment, as well as just have their life better put together. And so conversely, someone who's low in conscientiousness is not, it's going to be the opposite. Uh, they're less likely to show self-discipline. They're more less likely to have an organized environment to have their life put together. How this relates to physiotype is we have noticed that those who are universal meta and local meza, so any and se uh, heavy users, are likely to be low in conscientiousness. And when you so say any and Essie, you mean Nancy and Susan, right? Yes, yes, that's right. We don't want to... N and S can sound kind of similar over audio. So yes, Nancy and Susan. So Nancy extroverted and Susan extroverted uh, are likely to be low in conscientiousness. And I think I think for anyone who, who knows about the personality types, they, they can see that being the case. I don't know many, if any, SFPs, for example, that are high in conscientiousness. Um, I know maybe one SFP who tries to be high in conscientiousness, but you can always tell that she's putting forth a lot of effort to be high in conscientiousness, and it's not really part of her natural modus operandus. Would you agree with that? Do you know any SE or any users that are very high in conscientiousness? I mean, as with everything, it's a spectrum, but I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule. And I'm sure if I tried hard enough, I could think about it. But I think more importantly, yeah, the overwhelming amount of people I think of support this theory that SE and any are low in conscientiousness. Um, I'm any, so are you. And yeah, I mean, I, I try hard. I try hard to be conscientious, but I'm not naturally conscientious. It's really, uh, it's highly important for me to be conscientious. I know that and I struggle with it. So at best I'm average and that's with a great amount of effort. Mm -hmm. And I'm Same. probably below, I'm below average, I'm sure. I, I'm way below average and I do put forth effort. One thing I want to ask you about is this is interesting. So the two most conscientious types in physiotype theory are meza universal and meta local so that's interesting right because you have two opposite ends of the spectrum um it's not like there's there's no there's no shared physiotype component between them right because universals on the opposite of the end of the spectrum is local mesas on the opposite end of the spectrum is meta so if you take the opposite, you know, do you see what I'm saying? That was a horrible mm -hmm. explanation, but it's interesting that that means that no single component in physiotype theory is indicative of conscientiousness. It's a combination of them. That's, I don't know. That's interesting, right? It is. It is. And I think this could be a sign of two different things. One of which being that we, we were simply missing something and there is something that uh, NE and SE share in common intrinsically and that NI and SI intrinsically share in common. 
And I believe that is what Carl Jung believed. And I think that's why when he called them N-E and S-E and N-I and S-I, that's why he called them the way that he did. It's in the name. Yeah. I believe he thought that there was something intrinsically connected between those two pairs. Um, Another possibility is that there's just something about how universal and local interact with meta and meza that leads to this being a um, an emergent property. I'm kind of leaning towards the former, personally. Uh, but I don't think we're in a position to know for sure at the moment. Yeah, so it's like we're either missing something and that thing is probably just the E and the I. Or it's you can make a cake using two completely separate sets of ingredients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> That's hopefully a good that analogy actually made sense or else you're like what's going on why did you say that <laughs> um oh and, and of course it's I, it's worth noting that obviously and and if you map this back to mbti the relevant factor is j mm-hmm. which makes sense of course because we in mbti we think of j's as you know more conscientious me and alex are slowly trying to acclimate you guys to being comfortable only using physiotype uh nomenclature but for now what this means is that all j types are conscientious so that'd be ntjs stjs sfjs and stjs did i say nfjs i did right so technically yeah according to this according to the j the j in mbti and according to the physiotype model messy universal and meta local nfjs should be conscientious Though in my personal experience, I have noticed NFJ specifically for some reason being one of the least conscientious types that actually fit into that conscientious group. And that's interesting. But that could just be my own bias or experiences. I think me and you probably type NFJs differently sometimes because you say you don't know many NFJs. I'm like, what? That's like half the population. So I think we should, uh, next time you come up, we should just like go on a type go to the park and start typing people and maybe maybe we're uh miscommunicating about nfjs or something <laughs> maybe i'm i'm typing all my nfjs wrong maybe maybe i was thinking that too one more nfj came to mind that i had forgotten about i don't know he doesn't really fit like the nfj mold very much but he is very low in conscientiousness so but he dresses very nice but he is low in conscientiousness yeah no i wouldn't say i think nfjs definitely dress nice and speak nice and that's not where they're lacking conscientious. I would say it's their uh, record keeping and lack of washing their hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should come back to NFJs at some point. I think I think you're right. I think there's something more to be said about that. Well, hopefully not, because I would kind of break the model. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, we should. Okay, so uh, openness, I guess. We can talk about that. So... um this is something you found, Alex. This is mostly uh, your. I mean, I completely agree with it, but you had this thought first. Um, that, okay. Well, I'll go over what openness is again, real quick. So, creative, more creative, um, more prone to abstract thought, more interested in different things, uh, willing to change your mind a little bit more, uh, openness to new experiences, um, and so that maps in physiotype to meza local. And meta universal in MBTI, that would be SFPs, NTPs, NFPs, and STPs. Yes. SFP, STP, NFP, NTP. Yeah. 
I mean, what else is we understand what openness is. We understand what mesolocal and meta universals are. Um, and they tend to be more open. So I guess I'll go through the types and talk about how they're open. Yeah, because I, I think that I think there is a bit of a difference in how any fits into this versus SE. Yeah. So I think my openness as an NTP is pretty um ab- pretty normal. So I think I can talk about NTP openness. Um, I think NTPs show their openness, their openness as evidenced by their proclivity to abstract thought, um, changing their minds, being interested in lots of different things, um, having like fairly low confidence, um, not low confidence, but easily being able to, di- to discard beliefs and grab new ones if it fits, um, you know, their, their whatever logic they have. Um, and then for, let's say, NFPs, NFPs are very similar. NFPs are very agreeable, not just because they're F, but I think NFPs are sometimes more agreeable than SFPs, as an example. Uh, NFPs are open in a similar way that NTPs are open. NFPs are definitely open to new experiences as well. They'll go with the flow. They are very non-judgmental. You're a non-judgmental person, Alex. Thank you. As an example. <laughs> um, and then SFPs, definitely open, of course, open to new experiences. They kind of like to, you know, like try new things, right? Like, let's go on this three-day backpacking trip with, uh, you know, I just came up with this idea six hours ago. Let's do it. You're lucky if they've had six hours to think about it. <laughs> yeah, let's fly to Mexico, or uh, let's let's take a bunch of drugs. This is going to be awesome. Just like they're very, they can very quickly adapt and do new things, and um, it's not like they have these plans that they have to follow. They're maybe they have plans, but they're quite fine doing something fun or enjoyable or interesting uh, and being flexible um, to those new experiences. Um, obviously, with the local open types like SFPs and SDPs, their openness won't extend as much to abstract thought or like changing their mind. Like I think NTPs and NFPs are going to be able to change their mind faster and are going to be open to new abstract universal ideas. And of course, I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? Because they are universals. And so the universals are going to be better at universal openness and locals are going to be better at local openness. So I would say SFPs and STPs more likely to fly to Mexico with a day's notice. Uh, NTPs and NFPs more likely to change their uh, mind with, uh, you know, not very much notice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as to how STPs differ from SFPs um, in openness, I mean, they're both local. STPs are probably more the initiate, initiator on new ideas and new things. Yeah. Uh, because they're prone. So... Yeah, I'd say that covers it pretty well, because, uh, you know, when I first read about openness, I was thinking basically what you said that, like, I'm I'm I think I'm pretty open as a person, but I don't really engage in, quote unquote, risky behavior like uh, like the articles talk about. Um, But again, that's because if you think about the part of my personality type that deals with local things, it's it's SI and uh that's kind of the SI kind of does the opposite of be open, you know? So like you were saying, if any and SE are high in openness, then the contrast that NI and SI would be low in openness. Yeah. I mean, maybe it would even be more appropriate to just say flat out that, uh, meta universals are more open 
universally, strictly speaking, and they are less open uh, locally. And the inverse, mesolocals are more open locally, and they are actually less open universally. Like, yeah, that could be. I mean, I feel like fairly open to new experiences, not certainly as much as SFPs or SDPs, but yeah, maybe we'll refine this in the future and make it more explicit that like, no, when we say open, we just mean they're open in a universal sense, not necessarily in a local sense at all, right? That could be the case. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I am open to new experience as well. Um, I think you are more... Hear that, ladies? <laughs> I think you are more open to new... Um, like I'm thinking, so I'm like, I'm thinking of the anecdote of like when we were climbing those like demolished houses falling off the cliff and how comfortable you were with like being on the verge of death while I was trying to scurry along and get out of dangerous places as quickly as humanly possible. Right. You were more conservative on a local sense than me. But like we were both open to that experience. Because I was enjoying that, but I think you were much more comfortable and confident in that situation than I was. Right. Well, that could also be due to the fact that there was a, a few feet of elevation during that, and you grew up in Florida, where true there's no elevation. True. <laughs> no, I don't think that's true. I, I think you're right. I think that even though me and you are both universally open, I tend to be a little, uh, just a little bit more open on a local level and that's not i mean we have there's other things going on in our lives besides physiotype so um no i think that's reasonable how comfortable are you with like wild animals oh uh i don't like bears or mountain lions so i mean like i love wild animals that's cool right that's great but i do not like there being something way stronger and way faster than me like I am kind of conservative in, a, in like the safety sense. I'm actually very, I have an extremely low risk threshold. So the first time I encountered a bear, like, you know, it's almost always going to be fine when you encounter bears, right? At least in where I live, they're black bears. They're like giant raccoons. Like, yeah, they could kill you if they wanted to, but have you ever seen a raccoon that wants to kill you? Not that often, uh-huh. right? So you're probably gonna be fine. But I really was like uncomfortable for days afterwards because I was like, we kind of stumbled upon that bear quickly, you know, and normally you can control most of the things that happen to you in your life, or at least we're under that illusion. But I didn't like that when I saw this bear that was just like 50 yards from me, I'm like, oh, if he wanted to kill me, he just could. Like, and there's nothing I could do about it. So my life is in his hands in a sense, like there's nothing I can do. And I really didn't like that. Like, I didn't like not being in control. It's like, oh, just now it's just luck. I mean, yeah, 99.99% sure I'm going to be fine. But I don't like not being able to control. Like, I, I, there's this little factor in there that could kill me. Very small. But, like, I don't like not being able to control that factor. Yeah, yeah. So, in that sense, I don't like dangerous wild animals. But um, I'm not sure what your question was about. But that's my answer. <laughs> So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the zoo. I'm going to go to a zoo this time and just shoot a bear with just a big old rifle <laughs> and kill a bear. And then I will find I'll have that sense of peace back, you know, like I'll, I'll feel like I have control of my life again. So, yeah. <laughs>
It's going to be Harambe 2.0. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of the answer I predicted. And so that that just makes me think that... Like, I know what you were saying about like the elevation thing was kind of a joke. But it honestly might be more, like you were saying, more environmental factors between you and I. Because like I, I have very little concern for wild animals at all. But I mean, I've been running into you know like i used to hang out with this super super se heavy stp kid when i was growing up and like we'd go in the woods and we'd run into wild hogs and you know they'd confront us and we'd do our thing and they'd do their thing and they'd run off and it was fun and like nice adrenaline rush so like again i think nature versus nurture i think nurture definitely has an effect on openness to experience for sure. Nurture is why I was more comfortable crawling through the ocean around broken buildings and slippery stuff. And nurture is why you're more comfortable being around wild bears and hogs and uh, crocodiles. Yeah, yeah. But again, like we were saying before, and like we've said, be- you know, a hundred times before, and we'll say a hundred times more, um, physiotype is looking to predict averages, not individual behaviors. So the fact that I might be more inclined to risky behavior in one context and you might be more inclined to risky behavior in a different context doesn't say much about the theory as a whole. What will say something about the theory as a whole is if we find out that all NTPs and NFPs love risk-taking behaviors involving broken buildings and wild animals. (laughs) Well... that would disprove it, but that's not the only... I mean, <laughs> I don't want to say that we'll only think physiotype is false if it's never correct. <laughs> but I see your point. If it's yeah. never correct, I guess. If it's never... I guess if it's never correct, then it's correct in its own right. Like, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I would say it's wrong if on average, NTPs and NFPs are more likely to engage in uh, less like whatever. Yeah. I guess uh, I guess really what would prove us wrong is if NTPs and NFPs showed no difference from average. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Should we move on to agreeableness? Shall we? Today's episode is sponsored by Patreoners. Uh, why join the Patreon? Some reasons to join Patreon are for the first look access to our research and our articles. We've got a few posts on there right now that we don't have anywhere else. Or whenever we upload a footnote to an episode, it goes to Patreon first before anyplace else. Now, if you are not in a position to join Patreon at this time, don't worry. Don't fret. Everything that's on Patreon makes its way to the subreddit or to our blog or to the main RSS feed for this podcast. But if you're on Patreon, you get to see it first. You get to talk about it first. Please, if you can help us out, join us on Patreon. And if not, then we're just happy you're listening. All right. Thank you again to all our Patreoners. Okay. Wait, should we get the should we get the audience, our millions of listeners to guess um, which types are more agreeable and which types are less agreeable? I'm pretty sure we, we explicitly stated it in the Prone Supine video, but... Okay, so before we say 
uh, just to recap what agreeableness is. Agreeableness, the trait of agreeableness, reflects basically how likely an individual is to agree. That's not a good way to say that. And cooperate. Yes. And trust. Right. How trusting they are, how cooperative they are, how likely they are to contradict. Someone who's high in agreeableness would be, they would be less likely to contradict. And conversely, someone who's low in agreeableness is more likely to disagree, to contradict the the group, to uh, put their own interests above the group's interests. I don't know about that, actually. I don't think that part fits well with, and I'd say, supone and supine. So I would say, technically, let's say that you took the big five test and scored really low on agreeableness. You are the least agreeable person ever. I don't think that necessarily means that you are going to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. I'm just saying, in big five, disagreeability is often like used in the pejorative, but I don't think that's the way we should be viewing it when we're talking about it in this episode. Um, because basically what it means is you will not agree for the sake of agreeing. So I think highly agreeable people will tend to agree for the sake of agreeing. Highly disagreeable people, they're not going, that doesn't mean you will disagree for the sake of disagreeing. That just means you will not agree just because you want to agree, right? So those are two different things. People who disagree because they want to disagree are, um, you know, they're stupid, neurotic bad traded people <laughs> none of us like them <laughs> right so you can be a really disagreeable person and generally you know intelligent and polite and yeah it's disagreeable is a really useful trait because like if you're 100 agreeable then you know there's a lot of horrible people out there who start cults and do terrible things and if you're really agreeable you just go along with it so it, it's not like agreeableness just means that you're going to be more friendly it just means that you're going to go with the flow more and you're going to you're going to seek out consensus more i will say that someone who's lower in agreeableness is more likely to play devil's advocate and in a sense disagree for the sake of disagreement um that's a little different than what i think you mean um because it isn't really disagreeing for the sake of disagreement it's disagreeing as a kind of hypothetical situation as a tool yeah but I think that is a tool that someone who's high in agreeableness is unlikely to use. I would agree. <laughs> You're not supposed to agree with me, Colby. What the heck? <laughs> um, so, like we said before, someone who's high in agreeableness is... I mean, this is almost exactly the same definition we have for supine. Yeah. Someone who's very high in agreeableness is supine. And, you know, conversely, someone who's low in agreeableness is prone. I don't I don't think there's anything to add. I just think I would like to point out this is interesting because so if if you were to look at this kind of mapped out, you'll see openness relates to mesolocal and meta-universal. Conscientiousness maps to mesuniversal and metalocal. And all of a sudden agreeableness maps to just supine. So it's interesting because we have a single property of physiotype that relates to a single property of big five but then for the other two major properties of big five openness and conscientiousness we have to combine um two properties of physiotype um and i just think that's interesting obviously these aren't you know we're, we're forcing this connection a little bit but what this is the one that we have to force the least by far yeah agreeableness maps very very well to um supine 
and I wouldn't say we're, I, I don't know, maybe forcing is a strong word, but it's, it, they don't, they're not perfect puzzle pieces that match together, Big Five and, and MBTI, as you can see. But I would say it's definitely true that Mesa-Universal and Meta-Local are more conscientious. It's definitely true that Mesa-Local and Meta-Universal are more open. So that's interesting. I, I will say that it's convenient for us that a lot of the papers we're going to be looking at, like the one we looked at last week, are going to be looking at agreeableness versus disagreeableness. It doesn't really hurt us very much, at least at this moment. I guess I just want to, I've already said this once. I just want to say this again because of uh, right now things are crazy in America and being highly agreeable can be disastrous and can result in lots of pain and suffering and violence. Um, The best antidote for chaos and horrible tragedies caused by group ideologies and groupthink is to be disagreeable. In a time like now, in my opinion, it's better to be disagreeable than agreeable in the actual big five, non-pejorative, actual like neutral sense of those two words. Um, because the more everyone thinks for themselves, the less likely ideologies are to thrive and to contribute to violence and pockets of blindness where we stop viewing each other as humans some of the most agreeable supine people who are extremely empathetic to their in-group can be some of the absolute worst, heinous people you'll ever meet when it comes to their out-group because they stop viewing people in the out-group as humans. And those can be very agreeable people. So it's purely my opinion, but right now, I'm glad that I'm a disagreeable person because it allows me to think for myself and a lot of horrible things can happen if you have a lot of agreeable people together. Yeah, uh, this goes back to um, our Prone to Pine episode where we were talking about how like civilization for a civilization to run, you can't have everyone be prone because of the fact that it, you know, if everyone's prone, there's low group cohesion. But, you know, as we've seen lately, and I, I think we were even talking about uh, protesters saying how uh, Americans don't protest. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um But it's true. Group cohesion can be great for a civilization, but group cohesion has its downsides. And its downsides are most readily apparent when ideologies turn from neutral to conflict causing in nature or from neutral to um can't think of a good word but you know basically what you're saying dehumanizing in nature because all you need is 10 supine people and one prone person with a bad ideology and now you've got 11 people with a bad ideology yep if you've got 11 prone people and one of them has a bad ideology um that's it. You just have one with a bad ideology, you know? That's a wonderful example, Alex. Yeah, I think you put that perfectly. Let's reveal our big five types. Yeah, let's do that. That'd be fun. Okay, so so Alex, you are Meta Universal Supine, which is NFP. And I should say that in MBTI tests, I test as ENFP. Yes. So I do test 
as extroverted. And now tell us your uh, big five, yeah. So, uh, like, okay, so, like, where it says I extroversion 41, does that mean that I am... You're in the bottom 41% of extroversion. So that means that... So if you were a little more extroverted, you'd be in the bottom 42%. So you're... So 41% of people are less extroverted than you. Okay, okay. And conversely, 59% of people are more extroverted than me. Correct, yes. Okay, okay. So you can say like bottom 41 percentile, that's a thing people say, or top 59 percentile. Usually they just use a smaller number, but yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense, that makes sense. And that usually just means how many people are more than you, and that's how you kind of view it, yeah. How many people are more or less, more or less, either however you want to do it. 59% of people are more extroverted than you. Okay. Okay, okay. I th- I was I was looking at yours when I said that. that. That's why I was like, why am I so low on extroversion? But Oh, for me, I heard you say 41. So, so yeah, 59% of people are more. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. I thought I was looking at mine, but yeah. Yeah, I thought I was like, oh, you scored the exact same as me. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so I test as ENFP on MBTI, and I am an NFP, so a universal metasapine on physiotype. So I am more extroverted than 78% of people that have taken this test. So this is extroversion, not MBTI extroversion, not, uh, but rather big five extroversion, which like we said before, and I'll read it, it's characterized by a breadth, uh, enjoying a breadth of activities surgency and external activities and energy creation by external means. Um, so, you know, engaging with interacting with people, engaging with the external world, yada, yada, yada. I scored higher in extroversion than 78% of people. I scored 95% lower in neuroticism so you're in the bottom 5% of neuroticism. Yes, I'm in the bottom 5% of neuroticism. And then in agreeableness, I scored better than 51% of people in agreeableness. I s- scored a zero in conscientiousness. Um, like, I, I'm not that conscientious. I, I feel like I'm better than a zero. But you're not a complete disaster. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm a complete disaster, but... You know, okay. And then in uh, openness, I scored better than 59% of participants. Okay. So you, so all those numbers that are actually shown where it says score percentile, you can just be like, oh, I scored 41 out of 100, 13 out of 100. So that's kind of how I view it too. Okay. So I scored a 78 on extroversion, a 5 on neuroticism, which is good. You want to be low in neuroticism. Um, I scored a 51 in agreeableness. I scored a 0 in conscientiousness and a score of 59 in openness. Well, you seem like a pretty good person, Alex. I try. Me. Uh so folks, remember I am a meta universal prone. Um I was pretty middle of the road on extroversion. I scored a 41 on extroversion, so a little more introverted apparently according to the big 5. So that means that basically I'm I am there's 41% of people uh, who's scoring less than me on extroversion. So 41 out of 100. Um, emotional stability. Well, okay, so let's say neuroticism. Sorry, the, the test we took is weird. It, it inverses neuroticism for some reason. So um, on neuroticism, I scored an 87. So I am pretty darn neurotic. 
I'm more neurotic than 87% of people. Um, I'm not, I'm not a huge jerk, but I guess I just like, I'm trying to think like, are you more of a jerk than 87% of the people I know? No, but I, I have a lot of anxiety. I think that's mostly what it comes from because there's different ways you can be neurotic and I'm mostly anxiety neurotic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I get frustrated easily when things don't work, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very high on neuroticism, 87 percentile, um, agreeableness. Uh, I am the bottom five percentile. Um, so I'm very disagreeable, um, which folks remember doesn't mean you're disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing. It just means you're not agreeing for the sake of agreeing. All right. Not a bad thing. <laughs> not necessarily. I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing. Okay. Uh, conscientiousness. I'm pretty low on conscientiousness. I scored a 36. So that means only 36% of people are worse than me in conscientiousness or lower. You're 36% better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I No, actually, I'm. that's not how no. percentages work, Alex. No, you're. You're I'm th- infinitely 36, more conscientious. Million no, because you're zero. You're right. You're how right. many more? Zero times what equals 36? Nothing. You're right. I'm infinitely more conscientious <laughs> than you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, 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 it doesn't seem quite right for you. But okay. So and then I scored 93 percentile on openness. So only 7% of people who take this are more open than me. So basically, um, I'm very neurotic. I'm very open and I'm very disagreeable. Everything else, you know, fairly middle of the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So neurotic, disagreeable, and open sounds like a really annoying person to have at parties. Um, funny you would think that because it's true. <laughs> You're not that bad at parties. Get out of here. <laughs> as long as you don't start trying to dance, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so neuroticism is just a propensity to experience negative emotions. Would you agree with me being 51% agreeableness? Do you think do you think 49% of the people you know are more agreeable than me? So I don't know. It's like you're fairly disagreeable, but you do it in like the nicest way possible. So maybe that's why. Maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Quick summary. Big 5 relates Somewhat to physiotype, but it's not a perfect mapping. Uh, it maps the best with agreeableness and supine, uh, but it maps pretty well with conscientiousness and uh, NI and SI, so meso universal and meta local, and openness mapping pretty well with NESE, so meta universal and meso local. Uh, other than that, though, it's kind of wishy washy. Like we said, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect correlate. Hey guys, thank you for listening in. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did and you want to help us out, please leave us a review, whether it be on iTunes or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever it is you listen to your podcasts, leave us a review. It really helps us out more than you can imagine. It helps us help you because we know whether or not you like what you're listening to. But yeah, thanks again, guys. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week.